You're listening to a resource from the Field Church in Mandeville, Louisiana. It is our joy to glorify God by treasuring Jesus in the preaching of his word. We pray this resource will be a tool used to aid in your relationship with Christ in addition to your local church. Glad you're here this morning. Um, glad that you are with us. And uh, good morning to you. I hope that all is well with you. And um, and I want to encourage you with the fact that if you are here this morning, uh, God has woken you up purposefully to continue to uh, to do work in you and to do work through you. When that's finished, um, uh, you your time here on earth will be done. Right, and so if you are here this morning, um, God has has woken you up by His hand, um, by the strength of His might, and has uh, has planned to continue uh, to draw you to Himself. Which I pray that that He is, that He's patiently um, waiting for you to 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 turn to Him if you haven't, um, but that He is. He is ready to forgive you uh, if you have not experienced uh, forgiveness in Christ. But he's also, if you are the Lord's, that he has more work to do in you, to sanctify you for his glory and through you um, to carry his kingdom forward for his glory. So I want you to be confident um, that today uh, God has a purpose and a plan, uh, namely to work in your life and to draw you to himself. Um, I, I think it's important for you to, to realize and not just take uh, for granted uh, what the Lord uh, aims to do especially even now in this time that we have together in his word. Um, I, I want to encourage you uh, in the fact that, um, that God is going to do uh, some incredible work through just this simple uh, conclusion to this kind of short mini-series uh, within the greater series of the Gospel of Luke that we find ourselves in today. So God's going to instruct us in his word. If you have your Bible, which I hope that you always do, um, we're going to hear from God's word. I just want to simply instruct us in that this morning. Uh, if you can, turn to the 11th chapter of Luke in your Bible, verses 1 through 13, the 11th chapter of Luke. Uh, if you have a Bible before you, um, you should. If you don't, there's some Bibles uh, at the, at the, in the back of the room. Um, we always want to walk through the scriptures and see them for ourselves uh, rather than uh, just hear them. Um, and so also I will tell you, uh, this is what we're going to be uh, con again, concluding this short uh, mini series on the Lord's Prayer as we've been teaching through this in the Gospel of Luke. And, uh, and we've been doing so for the past six weeks. Okay. It's been six weeks through this short series um, on the Lord's Prayer. My prayer for you is that you know how to pray um, because of this short series and that you are a person of prayer for the rest of your life in the way that the Lord has taught us in this, in this uh, section. Now, you heard uh, Pastor Taylor mention um, that we're going to be kind of stepping out and kind of just blinking our eyes for a second right? Uh, like imagine that um, you're maybe just coming out of the water for a second, just blink your eyes or they're maybe drying out, right? And, uh, and it's the perfect timing. The Lord is going to allow Deuteronomy chapter 6 to come at a very special time for us. Now listen, Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, lock in, ready, is primarily for us going to be because we see the great need of instructing parents in family discipleship, okay? So this time in Deuteronomy chapter six is mainly going to be for the purpose of family worship, parental discipleship, okay? As you might notice, um, everyone in um, kindergarten and above, 
is in service with us. Partly that was due to the beginning of COVID and space restrictions, etc. But to be honest with you, we as a church have been really working through our convictions as to what this should look like for families and children. One of the things that we've said is that um, it's amazing to us that parents who are charged with the primary responsibility of discipling their children, their children won't see a parent worship until sixth grade normally in corporate worship. There's something not right about that. Right, So we are working through that. Uh, if you are a member of this church, you are going to hear some of the initial details uh, at our members meeting. And then in addition to that, um, you, you will know, I just would like to tell you that what um, we have in store for the rhythm and the family of our church, the families of our church in the future is unbelievable. Okay, what God is going to do over the course of time that will be the new rhythm of our church family um, is going to um, be unbelievable. And guess what? It's just following what the word of God says to us. Right. And so I want you to just to just anticipate that Um, just felt led to share that with you this morning. The Shema will be a time where we learn uh, as parents to love the Lord, our God, ourselves and then to instruct our children in those things, right? And so we're gonna take a few weeks through the month of December, as Pastor Taylor said, coinciding with Advent. Uh, and then we'll come back to Luke. We're almost halfway done with, with the book, okay? Um, which is awesome. You guys think uh, that a couple years through 12 chapters is, is steep. Uh, uh, you should read like church history because... Uh, people took like 20 years to get through uh, certain books. And, um, and maybe we might one day uh, <laughs> through, through a small series, right? Okay, so uh, before we dive into this passage again, and today's so simple. Today is so simple. Uh, it, it's just a conclusion to this. I, I pray that it would motivate you as you leave uh, and to, to follow the Lord, but it will be very simple. Um, and, uh, and I love that because it's just, it just is helpful for us to go and, okay, put into practice what we've learned for the past six weeks uh, regarding the Lord's Prayer. But before we do that, we've been committing to memory as a church. Um, Psalm 73, verses 25 through 26, every month we uh, have a memory verse that we together as a church family are memorizing. So I hope you've been repeating it throughout your week, that it's been encouraging you and drawing you into God's heart. Our, our, uh, our guys just sang a song Um, literally reciting it almost verbatim. Um, And so let's just say it out loud. Can you see if you can do it without looking? Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to, Dev's going to keep it back. Okay. Um, Now, most of you probably want to put your mask on right now. So I don't see your lips moving or not moving. Uh, Right. Okay. Just kidding. Let's try. Ready? Whom have I in heaven, but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Let's say it one more time. Ready? Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Good job. Good job. All right. Now let's put up on the screen. Let's just read it one more time. Whom have I in heaven but you, and there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Now, wonderful verses. I pray they're becoming your own. I explained to you last week, if you were here, the progression of this psalm, Psalm 73. And if you haven't yet, you should read this psalm. And do some research as to what the situation is and why the psalmist is saying what he is saying. You will be greatly encouraged by Psalm 73, okay, Um, if you can, if you spend some time in it. Uh, I'd like to point out one word in our memory verse before we move on. as, uh, as each week I kind of point something out, sometimes we just recite it, uh, but uh, there has been uh, not many verses over the course of my life 
that has led me to be satisfied in God time and time again, like Philippians 3 or like Psalm 73. And uh, I want to point out one word, and that word is portion. And when we think about the word portion, um, most of us can maybe think of that in context of eating and food. Your portion is what fills you up, right? This is my portion that I have been given or is, uh, that I'm making for myself, right? To eat and to be filled up with and to be satisfied in. So my belly and my heart is content, is full and content. And this verse is telling us that God is our portion, what fills us up, what should satisfy you time and time again. And not only that, but this verse amplifies it, heightens it by saying that he is our portion forever. He should satisfy you forever. I see so many people, friends, who who are so discontented in their identity and in their pursuits in life that they are continually trying to be satisfied. And you live with, with a, a, a very discontented identity and a very discontented uh, satisfaction in life. And so, um, as I heard this week, a pastor describe it so well, just it causes us to jump from thing to thing, looking for satisfaction. And can I just tell you, if you would be satisfied in Christ, if you would work hard through days and nights in his word to read it, I mean, read whole books at a time, read a lot of verses at a time, just read it regularly, ongoing, every moment you get, you're at a stoplight, pull it out and read it. You pull up into the parking lot before you get somewhere a little bit early, read it. Take every chance. Don't just formulate it in your quiet times. Like just be a person who's just constantly being soaked in the word. I'm telling you, if you would be satisfied in your nearness to God through Christ, your identity would be so content. You would walk around with a quiet confidence in the Lord and be so satisfied all the time that your life here on earth would be in view of eternity and you would know what's coming and how short this life is and how great Christ is. You don't want to go anywhere else. You need him and you just love him and you would share him regularly and humility would come into your life. I mean, if you would spend time striving towards this, being satisfied in God through being in his word, he will be your portion forever, forever. And then when you are perfected in heaven and you are glorified and he changes you in the twinkling of an eye, you indeed will be satisfied forever. And so I just encourage you, let this be true. Don't let these just be words that you murmur. Let them, be, let them mean something. I've entitled this message today as we move to Luke chapter 11, the good results of asking God in prayer. The good results of asking God in prayer. Because this passage is the conclusion of the Lord's instructions as to how to pray. Remember, in the season of training the disciples on the way to Jerusalem, he has been teaching them how to pray. And he ends the instructions with motivation for you to pray. Today, at the conclusion of this, are, is a promise. Promises. So that you would leave these instructions... And pray that you would pray. Today, Jesus is motivating us in light of God's promise to answer your prayers to pray. Today is the motivation. And listen, when we say promises, 
We get it. We're going to learn today God's promise in prayer and therefore become prayerful people and follow the instructions he just gave us with these great headings. Remember, as Martin Lloyd-Jones told us last week, these are headings, the Lord's prayers, are headings, and we bring our whole lives into de- in detail to God in prayer to fill in underneath the headings of the Lord's prayer. That's what the, por- the purpose is. We bring every detail to God in prayer under these headings, Right? And as we do that, God promises to answer. And so today is motivation, but I don't want us to just think about motivation and like some just emotional, um, like kind of pulling you in, right? We, when we think about motivation, we maybe think about like a motivational speaker or something like that that's just purely emotional, hanging on nothing. This isn't that type of emotion, or motivation. What I would describe this is as is firm motivation for you to be prayerful, for you to pray. This is what he's doing today. Okay? So now that he's instructed us how, he wants them, his disciples, his true disciples, to pray. Right? That's it's so simple. It's so simple. He wants you to make these petitions regularly. He wants you to fill in the details regularly. He wants you to bring your whole life to him regularly and to trust his promise towards you. The motivation rests upon this. God's propensity to answer your prayers unapologetically. God loving to hear your prayers. God answering when you ask and his desire for you to come to him in prayer. His goodness to give you when you ask and the fact that those who ask are the ones who see, experience, and receive the blessings of God. Now that sounds crazy, but it's true. Listen, I want to encourage you with this. Can I tell you something? The world has distorted prayer in our minds, and so has the name it and claim it gospel. Listen, when I say this, that when you ask, God aims for the one who asks to be the one who sees, experience, and receives the blessings of God, that is true. Meaning this, you do not have because you do not what? Ask. Okay, so this is true. That, this is God's mean to accomplish his purposes in the world through your prayers. But we have been distorted because we say, well, wait a second, the name it and claim it, Right? We want to be careful, and we do. But listen, in the same way that the world has distorted sex, but is sex a bad thing? No, it was created by God. The world has distorted money, but is money a bad thing? No, it was created by God. The world has distorted power, but is power a bad thing? No, it was created by God for his glory. In the same way, listen, we have distorted prayer. And prayer is a a good thing. God aims for you to believe with all your heart that when you ask if you are in Christ, he answers. And you should believe that. Why? Let me tell you, if you are a Christian, how else are you going to live? Are you to live independently of God? Are you to live independently? Are you to live on your own strength? Are you to live self-sufficiently? Are you to live without his help? No. God aims for you. If you are in Christ, your heart is crying out with these petitions and filling in the details of your life. You should take heart and rest in the fact that as you live and ask, your God answers. Because that's how you live. That's how the people of God live. But we have distorted it. So I want to bring us back to a biblical understanding of this. Look at John 15, 1 through 7. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Meaning in him we find life, and God uh, grows us 
in Christ. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean. So, okay, who is this to? Now stay with me. This is to the believer. The one who is connected to the vine, the one who has been made clean. Already you have been made clean. Why? Because of what? Because of what? The word that was, that was preached to you, that I've spoken to you. The word has made you born again. Now you're connected to Christ. He is your life and God is, is pruning you, growing you, sanctifying you. Now he's saying this, look, verse four, abide in me. And I in you, meaning this, there are many people who will prove to be false disciples. You got to stay with me to the end to prove that you are one of my true disciples. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Look at this, ready? If anyone does not abide in me, therefore, if you say you're connected to the source of life, but then you leave, right? It will be proof that you have never become his disciple truly. He's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, watch this, ready? What? Ask whatever you wish. And it will be done for you. Christian, I want to bring you back to the normal disposition of every Christian. Should be. You are meant to live in complete dependence upon God. You must ask. You must ask with these petitions, these great headings. And you should expect that God answers. Because that's what Christians do. They live dependent upon God. You don't, I don't want you to view this in such a way that this is some sporadic means by which we get what we want, the life that we always wanted in the flesh. No, if you are a Christian, you remain in Christ and you depend on him by asking continually in prayer. And when you ask, he answers. Okay, so listen, I want to encourage you with this because it's very, very important for us to realize, right? Now, as we dive into this in just a minute, um, I want to help you. God is here to draw you in through his word today so that you would be a people who ask. It's the only thing that matters today, okay? Through his wisdom, through his might, through his strength, through his power, he is calling you to depend on him, to guide you in your planning, in your decision-making, to assist you in your weakness, to teach you in your ignorance, and in your desperation to be your help, your strong help. And you as a Christian th should, should think this way. Now, I want to correct this because also, I think many Christians are extremely hesitant and even a little bit shameful to go to God in prayer. I don't know if that's you, but I think that there is an experience, an overwhelming experience of, of maybe hesitancy, if you were in Christ, to live life in constant prayer to God. And I don't know why that's occurred. I don't know why that has occurred. Maybe because you know the, the state of your heart. Um, and maybe because you know of your failures, you're ever aware of your of your shortcomings. I just, I, it's so simple today. I just want to beg you to rethink that. As a believer in Christ, you must be one who lives in complete dependency upon God, asking and receiving his answering. Okay? So, can I tell you, we know God is sovereign. The Bible tells, it, tell, tells us it everywhere, right? Um, and that does not negate that the Bible tells you to pray and ask. God aims to accomplish his plans and purposes through the means of his people's prayers, okay? So let me tell you about the two sections in this short section. Ready? 
We got sections and sections, okay? So two sections in verses five through 13. Ready? One, very simple. Stay with me. Ready? One, if you ask, he answers. If you ask, he will answer. That's the first section within this section. Secondly, when he answers, he always answers with good. Section within the section. When you ask as a believer in Christ, he answers. When he answers, he always answers with good. You mu- These are the two things that you are to know, believer. I'm speaking to our, our family here. Listen, brothers and sisters, li- listen to me. As you live in Christ, know two things and think about them this way. When you ask, he answers. And when he answers, he always answers with good. This is how you are to live. A.W. Tozer said that what the most important thing about a, a person is what they believe about God. That's the most important thing about a person. You will be able to tell someone's life and future and eternity based upon how they think about God, what they think about God. I want you to have a biblical perspective of God's disposition towards you when you pray. He always answers, always ready to help you as a believer in Christ. And secondly, his answers are always good. So let's pray and let's look at these two simple sections today. Father, please come and help us. I pray for anyone in the room today who who may feel an overwhelming sense of fearfulness to come to you um, who is in Christ. I pray that you would give them and expose to them your true heart. And being an ever-present help in our time of need. How else are we supposed to live, Lord, except asking of you and receiving from you? God, secondly, I pray that we would view you as our good father who gives good to us because of the great affections you have towards your children. God, I pray that you would teach us these two simple things. Lord, if there's anything blocking our hearing of you today, our pride, anything distracting, I just pray that you would remove it for us so that we can be given life through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Ready? Luke 11, chapter, uh, verses 1 through 13. Read along with me. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. Verse 5. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen and amen, right? Listen, the first thing that we see in this is number one, ready? Asking in prayer results in answering by God. 
Asking in prayer results in answering by God. Verses 5 through 10 is where we get this. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within. Do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed and I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because of he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. Here's what Jesus is saying in this section. Ask. Ask. This is what he's saying. He's telling us the importance of asking now that we've just learned how to pray. Right? He is saying, why aren't you asking? Be persistent. Asking yields answering. He is firmly motivating us here with promise as well as what he wants from us. You know what he wants from you? Audacity. Persistence. Requesting. Because you are dependent on him. And if you are not living in your asking, then you are living self-sufficiently. And that doesn't glorify him. You being a constant receiver, a constant beneficiary from the benefactor, glorifies him as the great giver who never runs out of anything, (laughs) who finds everything in himself. You do not glorify him by not asking. Right? You living dependent on him is so glorifying to him. Now, two sections. If you ask, he will answer And his answer will be good. The first section, if you ask, he will answer. This is not Naban and claim it as I told you, to give you what you always wanted in the flesh. Nor will we always get exactly what we want when we want it. But the true disciple who has taken up their cross to follow him, who prays, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, dependent on you. I I need everything from you. I ask for forgiveness from you, deliverance from evil from you. And I live underneath that and near to you, God. I just, I genuinely and truly desire you all the time. Now, I think the disconnect also comes into play here. I don't think you, some of you really understand what it means To always live in a place of nearness to the Lord. Don't go anywhere. Don't be out of his sovereign safety. You don't want to go into the unsafe territory of darkness. You don't want to go there. You go there to reach the lost and pull them back in. Right? You don't want to live outside of God's sovereign care in your life. And so if if you genuinely live in a place of nearness to the Lord... And you desire for his kingdom and his will and his, the hallowing of his name and for him to provide everything you need. This, is, this helps us to make sense of the asking and the answering. Now, if you live in a place of self-sufficiency and your life is more characterized by maybe the, the culture or the American dream, then of course you would kind of have a distorted, hesitant view of, of prayer. Right? But listen, children of God, you ask, he answers because you live dependent upon your father. There is no shame in your hearts as you live for his glory, his plans and his purposes. We should be asking of him and he should be answering and providing in the strength and power and wisdom that belong to him. And you should be confident that he is ever active in his answering. This means that we are intimate with God by talking, by asking, by being desperate for him. And as we have the heart towards him and towards his good purposes, he answers. Listen, this is so important. Let's discuss the details of this passage, starting in verse five, okay? Just stay with me. This is a time, because this is a little bit longer of a passage, but it's always true. But keep your eyes referring back to the text, okay? Listen, I need you to learn from the text, not from me, from the text, I'm just hoping to expose it and get out of the way. That's all I want to do. 
Jesus follows the instructions of the Lord's prayer with a parable, okay? So verses five through 11, right? Really just five through eight. And then furthermore, he explains some of it. But five through 11, we're dealing with the parable and the implications of the parable. It's a parable, okay? So it's a story. In this story... The setting is probably a small village where there are no shops or maybe the shops are closed, right? And then there is a a man who would go and ask for some bread. So listen, households would probably uh, bake bread every morning, right? If you spend any time with Antonio back there, my beloved brother, he will tell you there is a reason why bread lasts so long now, right? I mean, you have bread on your shelf. You're like, this thing's lasting for like four weeks. There's got to be something wrong with this loaf of bread. They're just putting something weird into this thing to make it last long, right? Back then, right, it didn't last very long. It lasted a, a, a day or two because it was, it was made out of the right ingredients, right? And so they would break bread. They would bake bread every morning. And they didn't have an endless supply. They just had what they had for the day, right? And so Jesus pictures a man in this parable whose household has used up their supply. And then a journeying friend makes an unexpected arrival. And it's at midnight, which probably means that the friend has traveled in uh, the evening to to get uh, to to escape the the heat of the day and the man must feed his friend because hospitality was a sacred duty especially in the Jewish culture so this man goes to another friend and says can I have three loaves now these loaves are not the same as you would expect they are flatbread right three of them for a friend but the second householder shuts the door The door is shut. He's gone to bed with his kids and evidently maybe a poor man because he's living in a one room space, probably on a mat with his children. That's how these families would sleep on the floor, maybe on a platform with animals at the at the at the uh, bedside. And he would not get up because of the disturbing of his family if he woke up. Later on, we'll see he has no difficulty in providing the bread for this person. He says, later on, once he gets up, take whatever you need. Ransack the cabinets, right? But it's that he doesn't want to disturb the family. It's easier to stay where he is. But, ready? The man asking is persistent. That's the key. That's the key in this passage. That unlocks the whole thing for us. The man asking is persistent. Hey, listen, brother. I know, I know it's late. I know you're going to wake up. I don't have any other option. I don't got any other option. I got a friend coming. I got to provide it. Would you please go away? Right? Listen, I know, I know it's late. Please, I don't have any. If I had another choice, I wouldn't ask you. Right? Listen, I know, I know. Like, Can I just get up and give it to you tomorrow? I promise I'll give you what you need. I'll give it to you tomorrow when I wake up. I'm sorry, I know, but I don't have any other choice. Please. And what happens? He gets up. Here's the point. The friendship, even though it doesn't prevail as the reason for the getting up, The importunity, the impudence, literally the shamelessness of the asking wins out in this passage. That's the point here. Asking yields answering. And then in verses 8, 9, or maybe 9 and 10, He just makes it clear (laughs) in case you missed the point. So let me just help you look at this for a minute. Verse five, and. So we just got done teaching the structure of the Lord's prayer. Then he says, and. 
which you might say, well, that's an easy word, but listen, it connects us. There's more to this. Jesus isn't finished yet. And before he lets him go, right? Like a, maybe like I would, I, I thought about when I teach my staff team something maybe. And then before they go, after I give them the instruction, I say, and listen, here's, here's the motivation to do this. Can you imagine if you do this? Let me just tell you about doing this and how it works. And they leave to implement what you just instructed them. This is what's happening here. So they can carry it and they can remember it and believe it and that they can pray. Jesus is such a good instructor and such a good leader for them. Jesus says, he asks a question within the parable. See at the end of verse seven, how there's a question mark. That's where the question ends. Now, the reason why I tell you that is because this question could be a little bit confusing the first time reading it. You're like, how many of you who has a friend, so you think maybe Jesus is asking you, like, how many of you do this? But then he's really saying, and which one of your friends would do this? So it's like, who's the question to, right? The question is, which of your friends would respond this way, right? Or which of, which of, how is this, would this situation play out like this? And then he emphasizes the asking as the reason for the answering. So let me just encourage you with this just briefly, right? You're not going to get an answer to prayer if you're not asking in prayer is what he's logically saying. What does James 4, 2 says? You do not have because you do not ask. Okay. Is God sovereign? We totally believe that here, right? I didn't show you this, but earlier I had a verse um, in Acts where the disciples are praying and they say that what happened to Jesus, there it is, for truly in the city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. Watch this, ready? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. God's sovereignty in the death of Christ. But, not a but, and pray and ask of God, right? So listen, here's what he's saying. Which one of you has a friend, philos, someone held in affection, probably a neighbor? This time you were dependent upon your neighbor, would have, look at the verse with me, a friend who came at midnight, verse five, lend me three loaves. For this, a friend of mine arrived on a journey. Midnight is a very inconvenient time, yet it also shows the desperation of the people, of the person. What's the request? Three loaves, flatbread, nothing to set before him. The heat of the day undoubtedly is the reason why this is, man is coming so late. Verse seven, and he will answer from within. He isn't happy. This doesn't seem like an emergency. You're not saying, friend, friend, my house is on fire, right? We, we need to, to, I don't know. We need, to, 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 we need your help. We need you to help come get, a, get our, our animals out, right? It's just not an emergency, this is, I need three loaves, and so, and it's at midnight, and there's a desperation. He's, he's kind of showing the, the, the Jewish reasoning is lesser to greater. If this is the case, and the man gets up because of the persistence of asking, like, how much more God answering you, right? Like, lesser to greater. So, here, the subject answers from within, do not bother me, right? My children are with me in bed. I can't get up. Verse 8. This is the point here, the key, the unlocking. Ready? Jesus is saying to this, in light of this parable, stay with me, in light of this parable, I'll give it to you. Maybe he won't give it up just because he is his friend. Right? You might say, you know, that might happen, Jesus. He might not get up. He might not answer him because he's his friend. Okay. Well, at the foundation, simply because of his persistent asking, the man will get up. Meaning, 
persistence, impudence, asking over and over again. That's the key that unlocks the man awakening, getting up at least, and giving. Persistence, impudence, shamelessness, audacity, boldness. When the friend says no, he asks again. And the man gets up and gives him. The point here being this. Let me just tell you very simple. The point here is the asking. That's what provided the answering. Right? Making the difference in the end. He got up. He gave him what he needed. Asking him led to him answering. Now, listen. This is the whole point. Church, this is Jesus' encouragement to you. Ask these petitions that we've just learned if you want him to answer them. Ask. Don't take these and then just hope or wish that that maybe somebody else is asking them. And why would you expect him answering if you're not asking? Right? This is what he's saying here. He's saying, take these prayers and ask them. Because if you are in Christ, I just so badly want you to live differently with the correct idea of God's disposition towards you in prayer for those who are in Christ. I feel like if we normally look at a graph here, this is how our lives work. No prayer, no prayer, no prayer, self-sufficiency. Spike. I'm in desperate need. No prayer, no prayer, no prayer. Spike. I'm in desperate need. No prayer, no prayer, no prayer. And he's saying to you, Christian, if you, if you know me through, through what I've done on the cross, how else are you going to live? Why would you expect to live that way and only call on me? Would you need? Are, you, are you afraid? Are, do, you, do you think my disposition towards you is hesitant? Do you think that I'm just waiting to shoot down your asking? You got the wrong view. You got the wrong view. He needs you. He, 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 he doesn't need because of his own uh, needing of anything, but he, he needs for you to understand this. And he needs, he, he aims for the disciples to understand this. This is his disposition. The world has taken this and distorted it so much. So that you live with this constant hesitancy and fear. Satan has taken it. And you stay away from God and asking in prayer. And you think of it as, um, will he give me? Listen, if your life is not about you, but about him, if you are a true disciple, we've already learned this in chapter nine, who's taken up his cross and followed him. This is a true disciple then this is how you're supposed to live. Psalm 34, four through seven, I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalm 34, 15 through 17, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and he hears their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil and cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all of their troubles. First Peter 3, 12, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are what? What? Open. To their prayer. Second Chronicles 7, 14 through 15, if my people who are called by what? My name, humble themselves and pray and seek my face. It is proud. It is pride for you not to be praying and asking these petitions of God. How else are you going to receive them? Or maybe you don't care about them. Maybe you don't care about the hallowing of his name or his kingdom coming or his willing, his will being done or for him to provide what you need or that he would deliver you from evil or that he would forgive you of your sins. If you are a true disciple, you care about those things. How else are they supposed to happen unless you ask? Right? So if they would turn from their wicked ways, he's going to hear from heaven, forgive them of their sins, heal their land. His eyes will be open. His ears will be attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. He loves to hear you when you pray. Church, let me just tell you this. Imagine a father, which we're going to do in a minute, but it's because uh, of the second point. But you know how your kids, and if you're a dad in here, you know, 
shamelessly, persistently (laughs) have an inclination toward asking you, right? I mean, kids know how to do what? Ask, right? Even if your answering is no, wait, hold on, you're kind of still trying to figure out how to answer, give, provide, do for what, what they need, right? How much more God, who's full of wisdom, might strength, control, patience, goodness towards you. Live with that mentality. This is your God. This is your God. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and to help us in our time of need. We don't spend it on our own passions, James 4, 2 through 3, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. That's not what a true disciple does. It's not what a true disciple does. Doesn't live like that, Right? Uh, I want to show you this, Luke chapter 18. Um, You know this parable? Watch this. And he told them the parable to the effect. Here's where the persistence, the impudence, the shamelessness comes in. He told them, Jesus told them a parable to the effect. Here's to the effect. Listen, here is why he told this parable. Ready? So that this would happen. That they always, they ought always to what? To pray and to not lose heart. AKA persistence, shamelessness. What was the parable? He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Okay, there's a judge, doesn't fear God. There was a widow in that same city who kept coming to him saying, give me justice against my adversary. For while he refused, for a while, sorry, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, is he going to find every, anyone to, living dependently upon him and praying and asking him, of him all time on the time on the entire earth? Is he going to find faith anywhere? Right? This is what he's asking. So, in case we didn't get it from the parable, verses 9 through 10. And I tell you, this is Jesus bringing about an emphatic statement. How do we know about that? Because he's 